0: So we're entering into our second sermon in our series on Hosea, maybe a a book that you're not familiar with. I'm not sure it comes up in the lectionary very often, but Tyler gave us an introduction last week from chapter 1, and we understand that Hosea was a prophet, right, one of the minor prophets, and uh, he is also called to marry a woman who is a prostitute. He's called to do the unthinkable, to marry a harlot. Filthy, dirty, soiled, an unfaithful woman who will be unfaithful to him. Only one of his children would actually belong to him. And what's worse is her name. Remember her name? Gomer. Gomer. Go out and marry Gomer. That's a good start to a relationship. She's going to be unfaithful to you as long as you shall live, but that's okay. So why would he be asked to marry Gomer? Well, consider this. Consider yourself as the prophet. You're a preacher, a prophet, a theologian. People pat you on the back after the sermon and say, what a great word from God you had today. Well, imagine if you just didn't have the right word, but imagine if that word came alive to you. Imagine that your prophecy is seen played out before your very eyes. Then it becomes a heartfelt message, right? I think that's what God is doing for Hosea. God is allowing Hosea to feel Israel's covenant betrayal in the same way that he feels betrayed by Israel. It's a strong message. What does it look like when we sin from God's perspective? And I think that's the message for us today. Um, When we break covenant with our Lord and our God, what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like from Hosea's perspective Go out, Hosea, and marry Gomer. Marry the town prostitute. Become the laughingstock of the nation. Become thoroughly jilted by her, utterly humiliated by her. Love her. Love her with such covenant faithfulness and watch her go after other lovers. Have your heart broken, Hosea, time and time and time again by this woman, and then you'll understand. Then you'll see sin from my perspective. Then you can preach, and then you can prophesy from the heart. Tim Keller described it like this. He said, it's it's like a young child, a young girl who's growing up on a remote island. She's never had sugar in her life, but her parents remember having sugar at one time. So they end up describing sugar to this young girl. It's this granular white substance. You put it in your mouth, and it just bursts forth in sweetness and flavor. And when she's 15, she can describe sugar. But then one day they drop supplies at this remote island. And for the first time, she tastes sugar for herself. It goes from an intellectual knowledge of sugar to an absolute personal experience with sugar itself. Hosea is allowed to taste not the sweetness of sugar, but the bitterness of covenant unfaithfulness. Just as Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, the people of God were unfaithful to God. Just as they had pursued other lovers, Gomer had, so the people of Israel had pursued other gods. We get to see it from God's perspective. And now in chapter 2, I want you to see the unexpected outcome and how our God reacts to his unfaithful partner. So if you'll turn to chapter 2. Verses 14 to 20, we see the unlikely response that is totally unexpected. Because what we get in chapter 2 is one of the most tender, beautiful love songs in the entire Bible. It's a love song sung by God to his unfaithful spouse. Can you imagine such a thing? And I want you to hear it today for yourself. Because sometimes we think Old Testament prophet, Land far, far away, time long, long ago, that really doesn't apply to me in my life where I am right now, but it does. It does. You know, Paul says if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're grafted onto the stump of Jesse, the root of Israel, and through that Jewish Messiah, we become honorary Jews. So all the pro- promises of the Old Testament are ours as well. So what you're going to read today is a promise not. For a people long ago, but it's for you and for me. I want you to hear the song that God sings to his beloved as he woos her back in three different ways. First of all, look at verse 14. He allures her. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I mean, what are you doing, God? She's unfaithful to you. She's broken your covenant promises. And you're going to entice her? Lure her, seduce her back into your heart. Remember, in the Old Testament, he could have publicly humiliated her. He could have had her stoned and put to death. He could have divorced her. But here God is singing a love song to her. He loves her that much. Instead of divorcing her, he sings to her. People oftentimes say, well, the Old Testament doesn't have grace and mercy and love in it. Friends, you won't find more grace and mercy and love than what you see in chapter 2 today. But the point being is that that God doesn't want us to return out of fear or threat or judgment. God wants us to come back to him because of his beauty, because of his faithfulness, because of his holiness, because of his alluring goodness to his people. My friends, we're all kind of like Gomer, aren't we? I'll admit it. There have been times in my life where I have chosen a paramour and exchanged that paramour for the beauty of a relationship with a loving God. There are times when I've allowed things to overwhelm me and become idols in my life, and I've shoved God to the periphery. That's what we're talking about. We're all gomer in some way. What is it for you? Worldly ambition? Self-indulgence? Selfish ambition? The pursuit of a career or some sort of sexual pleasure to fulfill that hole in your heart? I mean, even something as godly as child rearing can become idolatrous. When those children become the center of your existence, when they're allowed to push God to the, the periphery of your life, whatever is at the center, that's your idol. But here's the message God has not cast us off, even when we play Gomer. His promises is to take us into the wilderness. Read that again. Why? because he wants alone time with us. He loves us that much. Scripture, Bible study, prayer. Why? So that he can speak tenderly to us, it says in that verse. Now, in Hebrew, literally that phrase means I want to speak to her heart. God wants to speak to our hearts, to allure us and entice us and to woo us back into covenant faithfulness. So the message is simple, my friends. There is no one here today that has walked far enough from God that God doesn't want to speak a tender word into your heart and to woo you back into his love. Not a person has walked that far. If he wants a harlot to come home today, there is no one too sinful, too rotten, too vile. God loves us and wants us to come back. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says, I declare, says the Lord, as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked might turn from their ways and live. God wants us back. The second thing God does is he promises Gomer, or Israel, hope and safety as she returns. Look at verse 15. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a, a door of hope. The valley of Achor, what is that about? Well, remember after 40 years of wandering in the desert, they come to the promised land, They go in through the gates into the promised land, and the first valley they overtake is over a a, a Canaanite city called Ai. But when they overtake that Canaanite city in the promised land, somebody named Achan ends up keeping the booty. He keeps the forbidden booty from the, the, the battle. Now, God commanded them not to do that. So it was a, an act of covetousness, an act of greed, and it represented the first breaking of their relationship with God in the, in the promised land. So they were unfaithful. So the land of Achan is called the Valley of Trouble or the Valley of Faint, Unfaithfulness. Yet God's promise here, God promises to take Acor and change it from the Valley of Trouble to the Door of Hope, the Door of Hope, and rich vineyards can be found through the door of hope. Do you think maybe God is speaking of a new covenant that is to come? Do you think maybe God is pointing us to the Davidic Messiah that we had introduced in chapter 1 and we'll see again in chapter 3? Do you think maybe in the New Testament when they call Jesus the door might have some relationship to the door of hope through which we gain access to the Father? I think maybe. And look at verse 18. You'll see this covenant, this new covenant to come. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from all the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. Come back to me, my lover. Come back to me, your husband. Come back to me, and you'll find paradise and peace God promises one day to even make a pact with the animals of this world that they will no longer hurt his children and that all the conflict on the world will be done with. And on that night, before Jesus died, do you think maybe that was what he was pointing to? As he lifted a chalice at a table and said, This is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, peace with God, as often you shall drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. Come home. The doorway of sin and suffering has become the doorway of hope for God's people. Third and final thing, God renews his marriage vows with his people and reconsummates the marriage bed with faithfulness and purity. Look at verses 19 and 20. God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That's an invitation for Gomer to come home, to to re-engage with her husband, to renew their wedding vows, to start over again. God's heart is a heart that welcomes harlots home. Revelation 2-4 talks about a church that strayed from God. And it says, return to me, return to your first love through repentance, through repentance. God in Jesus Christ has made the doorway of suffering and sin to be a doorway of peace with God. Verse 20 says, And you shall know the Lord if you'll step through that doorway. Just as Adam knew Eve, and they conceived and bore a son. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with you and me. He wants us to to love him and to know him, not to keep us at a distance, but to have absolute wonderful union with a God who loves prostitutes back into his household. My friends, that's the gospel story. do not get any better than that. Uh, the same Jesus who, who came on Christmas Day, who died for your sins on Calvary, rose victorious from the grave a couple days later. That's the same love we see in Hosea. A God who will go to any length to woo his people back. So what qualifies us for that kind of love? What what does he want from us? Look at verse 16 and we'll end with this. In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. Now that term Baal does mean husband, but it means a, a lording over her husband. It means a master, a lord, somebody who lords over his bride. The Baals, or the Baals, of the Canaanite religion, were fertility gods. And so you can imagine them mastering their people. Um, You can imagine Israel being very seduced by these gods. Remember? You go in the Jordan Rift Valley, and you see these lush gardens, these beautiful crops, this abundant um, fruitfulness. Or you go to the Jezreel Valley, and you look over and see these Canaanite fields, and you're like, man, their god has it going on. I want some of what Baal can give me. And so, what do you do naturally? You take the Most High God, who is your husband, and you include a few prayers to Baal, and you commingle the religion. A little infidelity never hurt anyone, right? But it did. And that's the message of our story it broke God's heart. He's a jealous God. So, he is calling them to recommit to him in covenant faithfulness as a good wife and a good husband share fidelity and covenant fidelity together. But the second meaning is those Baals, they were harsh, they were demanding, they were cruel, merciless, they demanded constant appeasement, sexual worship ceremonies, and even human sacrifices. But our God, what does he say in Hosea 2:16? Relate to me as a loving husband. Not as a harsh master and owner. Call to me as husband. Don't call to me as Baal. So what have we learned? God loves sinners. Loves all sinners. Who wants us back into his heart? He sent his only begotten son into the world that all who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. He did that to bring gomers home. God woos us with his alluring beauty and offers us mercy and grace. God takes the doorway of sin and suffering in our lives and opens up a doorway of hope through Jesus Christ and the new covenant promises. And finally, God wants intimacy with us. He wants to know us and and to know us so intimately on an undefiled marriage bed of love. So today's your wedding day. If you think you've walked away from God, today's your day to return. God's love is here to allure your heart back into covenant relationship with him. I'll end with this. Ray Vanderlyn tells a story about ancient customs in the ancient world. It wasn't that a woman had a dowry to give to the, the husband. It was that the husband worked really hard to pay a bride price. That was an exorbitant amount of money. So he would go to the father, give this huge sum of money in order to have the right To take his daughter's hand in marriage. So the second ceremony would be that they would take a glass of wine or a chalice of wine. And the the man would drink from the chalice and pledge his covenant fidelity to this woman as long as they both shall live. And even at that late date, she had an opportunity to veto the whole deal. She could push the cup away and say, I don't love you in that way. I'm not going to marry you. And that was her right. Or she could take the chalice. And receive it and drink heartily from it. And express her love, her union, her covenant fidelity with her future husband. I want you to think about that when you come to communion today. When you take the chalice of wine that is representative of Christ's bride price that he paid for his bride, the church. When you take that and drink it, uh, you're saying, I want to be faithful in a covenant relationship with you as long as I live, Lord. You are my husband. I call you not Baal, I call you husband. And I receive you again today. What a great and awesome God we serve. To him be the glory who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.